Um, our family, we had one of our family celebrations, get-togethers last night, and we actually experienced a miracle. Maybe something like you is going to shock you. We actually experienced a miracle of a resurrection. So a couple weeks ago, my dad's wife, Teresa, told us, she said, um, Tim's mother passed away. And we were like, oh, that, you know, that's, that's terrible. And we know a couple Tims, and we thought she was referring to one Tim, her son-in-law, and she was actually referring to another Tim. So yesterday at our celebration, Tim, her son-in-law, walks in, and Tammy walks up to him with this kind of uh, voice as she can, and she said, Tim, I'm really sorry to hear about your mom. He said, about what? He said, she passed away. He goes, well, unless it happened within the last 15 minutes, I just saw her cooking some dinner. And we're like, what? I know somebody told us that she died. And so we began to talking about that, and it was actually Caitlin who told us, not that Tim, the other Tim. So we got a big kick out of it that uh, there had actually been a resurrection, and I said, Tim, tell your mom that uh, we're glad to hear that she's alive. So uh, anyway, we, we got a big kick out of that. But we're glad to, uh, to take a look at God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, if you'll look at, uh, turn with me to Luke uh, chapter 2, we'll be reading from verse 8 through 20. This is probably the most culturally popular account of Jesus' birth, if for nothing else, for the reason of Charlie Brown. I, I love it. You know, I used to love that, and I don't know if the cancel culture has gotten hold of that yet or not. I haven't seen it, but I haven't been watching for it that much. But if you remember the Charlie Brown Christmas that Linus would get up on the stage, and the stage would go dark, and he'd have his blanket, and he would read from this gospel, and he would say, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And it is what Christmas is all about. But this morning, as we read this gospel, what it is really about, it's about a heavenly announcement. It is a heavenly birth announcement. And so I took the, I took the liberty to take a look at uh, how do we announce births? Particularly, how do royals, how does the royal family announce a birth? And so I found this, and this was from 2013. Uh, it was going to be the birth of Prince William and the Duchess of Cambridge, which is known as Kate Middleton, and one of their babies. And it says this, it says, and the, as the royal due date fast approaches, new details are emerging around how the royal family plans to announce the arrival of Prince William and the Duchess of Cambridge's baby. According to people.com, the announcement will involve a mix of technology and historical tradition. To honor tradition, a bulletin will be placed on a wooden easel in front of Buckingham Palace, revealing not only the birth of the baby, but also the sex. And it will be signed by the royal couple's medical team. It'll be the very same bulletin used to announce the birth of Prince William in 1982. At this time, the royal family will also release a digital announcement. The bulletin will come first, however, to highlight the historical tradition. Even before all that, though, the public and the press, of course, will be watching St. Mary's Hospital in London for a Kensington Palace staffer to leave its doors with a sealed envelope to deliver the news to, Queen, to the Queen, Prince Charles, and the Middleton family. The baby's first public appearance will be a photo session on the steps of the hospital. They may also reveal the baby's name at that point, but people doctors, they may wait a few days like they did for William whereas Prince Harry's name was announced right there. So we see how the royals, the earthly royals, do a birth announcement. Let's read how the heavenlies did a birth announcement. So if you have, if you'll turn with me to Luke 2, 8 through 20, and we'll read. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were greatly afraid. For the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all, the thing, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard. And it was told to them. We'll see as we go through some comparisons and contrasts to how earthly royals and heavenly royals compare. If you look at the introduction, it says, We're very accustomed to getting the exciting news that a baby has been born by birth announcement. We may get them in the mail or see them on social media. There's never been a more important announcement than that of the birth of the Savior of the world. As we read from Luke's gospel, we find it not to be just any birth announcement, but a heavenly announcement. What, what makes this? Well, let, let me, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you, Lord, for those of us who've gathered to worship you. Lord, that you have come, Lord, to take our sin away. And Lord, and that's what you've done. And we thank you for that, and we honor you, and we praise you this day, Lord, in Jesus' name. What makes this a heavenly announcement? What makes this birth announcement a royal heavenly announcement? First, it's the messengers. First, it's the messengers. The messengers were heavenly messengers. The, the angel that appeared in this was called the angel of the Lord. It was the angel of the Lord. But it wasn't just any angel, it was Gabriel. Now Luke in his gospel, he doesn't say that in his text, but if you go back just one chapter previous to chapter 1, you see that this same angel had made another birth announcement to Zacharias to tell him that John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, would be born. And he told him, he said, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. And so he was an archangel. There's two angels mentioned in the Bible. There's Gabriel and there's Michael. Gabriel was a messenger. Michael was a warrior. And so we see what makes this a heavenly announcement is a heavenly announcer in the angel of the Lord and the angel known as Gabriel. And later on after the announcement, he would be adjoined by a multitude of heavenly hosts. A multitude of heavenly hosts. You know, on the Christmas cards, oftentimes when we see a depiction of this and we see what is described as heavenly host, oftentimes we see something that almost looks like a, it looks like a firefly to me in some ways. It's kind of this cuddly looking little creature and it's got a few wings and, and it was almost something we would like to go up and hug rather than something of a heavenly host. But when I did a little research on these angels and what they might have looked, at, looked like and we think about what a heavenly host and what these shepherds may have seen, I found this. It said basically the word host refers to a great number of individuals or to an army. 
Modified by the word heavenly, host becomes a great number of angelic beings forming a celestial army under God's command. This is a suggestion of rank and orderliness of companies and divisions within that heavenly army. The heavenly hosts were created by God and are controlled by God. One of the names of God, as a matter of fact, is the Lord of hosts. So these messengers, you have Gabriel, one of the archangels. He delivers this message. He's joined by a host of angelic beings. And they wouldn't have been something that would look right cuddly. Quite frankly, they probably would have looked like a more of a detachment of soldiers. And they would have lit up the sky like the daytime. Tammy and I have had the privilege of standing in Bethlehem. Now, where we stood and where you go when you toured the Holy Land, they don't know for sure that that is the exact place where those shepherds would have been, but the terrain is very similar. You can see flat plains, and then behind it would be a, a, a rather large hilltop. And there's a bench there to set over and look at this and reflect on this account. And I remember sitting there and looking over that and, and wondering what those angels must have seen, how the angel Gabriel had appeared, and how this host of angelic beings appeared to announce the Savior of the world. They were heavenly messengers. The messengers in, of the earth were doctors. They were those who came along with an easel. They, were, they would put it out in a digital format. But our God, they are, it's heavenly. His, his, his digital format was the heavenlies. They were heavenly messengers. And then there's the audience. Then there's the audience. The audience here were shepherds. They were shepherds. The audience... When the, when the royals' baby was born, the audience was the other royals. They kept it sealed. They were going to deliver it to the queen and to the king and everyone else in, involved in this. But in this, the audience was the shepherds. God did not choose the well-connected royalty or the well-educated to make the announcement. He chose who was regarded as the lowest of society at that time, shepherds. They were considered ritually unclean by the Pharisees. They could not testify in court or in a synagogue. However, it would stand to reason that God would choose shepherds since this, since this child would go on to be called the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and the chief shepherd. And those who would follow him would be called his sheep. And he would say that his sheep would hear their vo his voice and they would follow him. Maybe he chose shepherds because it was not uncommon at that time for the sheep in Bethlehem to be the very ones that would be used to offer as a sacrifice for sin in the temple at the Passover. As I did a little more research on this, some said they may have been Levitical shepherds. They were the shepherds who would go out, they, they would tend to these sheep, they would make sure that these were the sheep without spot and blemish because these were the sheep that would indeed go to the Passover to be sacrificed as for sin under the old covenant. But God knew that this child would be the last sacrifice that would ever be needed for the remission of sin. Whatever the reason, we see that God was using the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things to confound the mighty, as he tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 and 27. So we see heavenly messengers, we see a lowly audience, and then there's the announcement there's the announcement. The first thing the angel has to say when he appears to the shepherds is do not be afraid. You know, every time that someone's appeared to in the scriptures by an angel, he has to follow that up with do not be afraid. 
I consider myself a pretty courageous guy. I've been in some th situations where I've had to exercise some courage. But i got to tell you, I think if an angel appears to me, particularly how I think an angel looks, he's going to have to say, probably after I'm getting up off the floor or running away, he's probably going to have to say, Larry, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And that was the first announcement. Do not be afraid. Why? He said, because I bring you good tidings. Good tidings means good news. I bring you the gospel is what the angel was saying. The Greek there is eguilon, and to bring means to evangelize. What the angel was saying is, I am evangelizing you with the message of Christ and the way of salvation. I am bringing you to message that all the prophets have been waiting for. I am bringing to you the message that the Messiah is here and our sins can be forgiven. That word gospel is used 93 times exclusively in the New Testament. My, one of my favorites is when Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And this message is still the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel. He said, I bring you good tidings, the gospel of great joy, not happiness. They can be closely synonymous. But joy comes when we have an intimate, we know our sins have been forgiven, and we have an intimate, ongoing relationship with the God of heaven. It brings joy. It brings something deeper than just what makes us happy. Things can make us happy. Our car can make us happy. A vacation can make us happy. Only the God of heaven, when our sins have been forgiven, and that secret of contentment that he tells us that we can have, floods our soul, can we have deep joy. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. As Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, the whole book is about joy. He wrote that book from prison. It's something that only God can give great joy. And he said it's for all people. It was a global message. That's why the missions that we do in this church and that many churches do and that many organizations do are so important. It is a global message. It's for all people because all mankind is in the same need. All of mankind is lost and in need of a Savior. In this world where there's a battle raging and it's, and it's politically incorrect, maybe to say all lives matter or that black lives matter, I hear it stand to tell you that the angel and Jesus settled that message once and for all. Black lives do matter and all lives matter. Jesus said, if I'll be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And the angel said, it is for all people. And what was the message? That a Savior is born. Christ or the Anointed One is what that means. Christ the Lord, the Anointed One, has been born. He was the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, which reads, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. He was the fulfillment of that prophecy. He was the fulfillment of every prophecy that spoke of him in the Old Testament. Matthew confirmed that in his gospel in 1 and 21 when he was speaking of Mary. He said, she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. 
And then he was confirmed by John the Baptist. When John was out baptizing, Jesus came along to be baptized. And John looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The messengers were heavenly, the audience was lowly, and the announcement was an announcement of salvation. And then there's the reaction. Then there's the reaction. The angel and the heavenly hosts begin to praise God. The shepherds begin to praise God. I think the natural reaction would be that when we come and we really have an experience with the Lord and we burst out in praise, everything within us begins to praise God in our lives and how we live. And then the shepherds, the Bible says the shepherds went and told. You know, it said before they went and told, it said in haste they came to see the child. Someone said that's the first Christmas rush. And how much different it is from the Christmas rush we had that we rushed to stores to make sure we can get the best sale and get the best bargain. We'll even throw some punches if we need to. But the shepherds, no, they rushed to see this thing that Christ had come. And then they rushed to go and tell. We sang this morning, go tell it on the mountain. And as I was spending some time over this message and I got to this point, and it says the shepherds were to go and tell what I'm afraid of in our culture, church, is we have lost the wonder of this message. We live in a sea of messages. Social media and the internet has just bombarded us with messages. And if you, most of you in here, I know you have some type of social media account. You scroll through it, and during this season, you will see this very scripture shared in some fashion. Then right behind it or right before it will be some political statement, some advertisement, some and something else that's trying to draw you in and draw your attention to some other message. Let's don't lose the wonder of this message. Let's don't lose the excitement of the message. Let's don't lose the power of the message. And I'm all for sharing it in social media and social functions and out on the internet. That's great. But I'm going to tell you, the message, the power of the message is still never any stronger than it is when you share it face to face. When you talk to someone about what the Lord has done for you, and you share that message to them in a one-on-one fashion. The reaction was worship and praise. The reaction was to go and tell. But then Mary's reaction was a little different. Mary's reaction was a little different. The Bible says that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. I wonder why Mary's reaction was different. There's a, there's a very popular Christmas song. I love it. I hadn't heard it this year. And it's called Mary Did You Know. Mary Did You Know. Well, all I want to tell you is Mary did know. Mary was a young, devout Jewish girl. And I think what happens is the, 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 the angels are praising, the shepherds are praising. They're saying that everyone who hears this message is amazed. But Mary... Mary pondered. Mary was a mother. This was a real baby that she was holding in her arms. And for all you mothers out there, you can appreciate this, and I can as a dad. She was holding her son. She knew who this child was. It had been revealed to her by an angel. She knew he was the Messiah. She knew. She knew. The song goes like this. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand? Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss this little baby, you've kissed the face of God. 
Mary, did you know that your baby boy was the Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb and the sleeping child you're holding is the great I am? She did know. She knew all those things. She'd been visited by an angel. She, the angel had comforted her. This child, is over, this, you've been overshadowed by the most high. But still, she was holding a real baby boy. But Mary would have also known Psalm 22 that said, They've pierced my hands. They've pierced my feet. They've cast lots for my clothing. She would have known, and she was pondering in her mind, what this child would experience. And I imagine that's what caused Mary to ponder all these things in her heart. While everybody else is praising, while everybody else is worshiping, Mary is exhibiting, I think, what 1 Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4. He said, and he was speaking, First Peter was speaking of women here, but this applies to us all. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, and putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Everybody's praising, everybody's glorifying God, and there's times we will praise, and there's times we will glorify God, but there'll be times in our life when we'll face things that we don't understand. Mary knew who this child was. She knew by Scripture what he was destined to, but she didn't know how it was all going to play out. And some of you today have things going on in your life. You're facing things in your health. You're facing things with your family. There's lots of troubles in our lives. And we don't always know how we're going to play out. But just like Mary, sometimes we ponder them up in our heart. And we trust God's plan. And that's what Mary was doing. And it didn't birth forth in praise. But that gentle, quiet, worshipful spirit was just as important as what the angels and the shepherds were doing. She pondered these things in her heart. And lastly is the result. The result the result was the angel singing glory to God in the highest. The result of this message was glory to God. John, speak, Jesus speaking to his disciples in John 12, 27 through 28, said this, Now my soul is troubled. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. The two events, the two greatest events of mankind, and I think the two times when God was most glorified. And this whole scripture is about the glory of God. Jesus said over and over and over in his earthly ministry, he came to glorify his Father. But the two greatest events, the first one being what we celebrate today, was the birth of Jesus. And the glory of God was revealed in that. And then at his death at the cross, he glorified his Father. And through that, we have eternal life. And Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And then the next result was peace on whom his favor Rests. Now, your translation and my translation in the King James Version says, says this. It says, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. But as I studied this, most translations say peace either on whom his favor rests 
or on whom he's well pleased. Why the difference? Why the difference? There's only one letter in the Greek word that would make the difference between peace on whom his favor rests and just peace towards men. What's the difference? Most textual critics believe as they search the scriptures and find this same Greek word in other places in the scriptures and how it's applied, believe that, it, that the correct translation should be peace on whom his favor rests. I think Mary even knew this. When Mary was contemplating this child, when she was thinking about the goodness of God in Luke 1 and 50, she said this, speaking of God, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is on who? Those who fear him. See, the gospel demands a response. I love this idea of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. I would to God it was to all men. It is available to all men. But it happens on those whom his favor rests. Where does the favor come from? When we repent of our sin, we recognize him for who he is, the savior of the world, and then we recognize our need, that we're lost, that we're dead in our sin, we're dead in our trespasses. We must come before him, bow before this king, repent of our sin, and make him the Lord of our life. And the Bible says his peace can come and rest upon us. That peace had come. And then goodwill towards men. A better translation would be a towards men of goodwill. When that peace becomes to rest on you, when you experience the salvation that comes with the Lord, when He begins to smooth out the rough edges of our lives, and He's still smoothing out the rough edges of our lives, what it creates in you is this idea of that you have a that you become a man and a woman of goodwill towards your fellow man. The result was to glorify God. The result is peace in the hearts of whom his favor rests, to create men of goodwill. And what is this peace? How do we describe this peace? I don't think it's any better described than by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, where he tells us this. Be anxious for nothing. And the same word that's used there is worry. With all the money that we have, as blessed as our nation is, you know that study after study shows that we're an anxious society, that depression is, is as great as it's ever been, that med people being medicated for things is as great as it's ever been. But Paul said, do not worry or be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, the peace of God. See, we want peace of God, but we don't get the peace of God till we have peace with God. And that's what Christ came to give us, was peace with God. Once we come and we repent of our sin, that peace of God comes into our hearts, then we can have the peace with God. Which surpasses all understanding. Once again, I know there's things going on in your life that you don't fully understand. You don't know why these things are happening. Why me, God? Why does this happening to my family? But that peace can come in and it can surpass that understanding and our lack of understanding. And then it does this. It guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's the heavenly announcement. That is the heavenly birth announcement. The messengers were heavenly. They were angelic. The audience was lowly. The announcement was announcement of salvation. The reaction was praise. And the result is peace. The result is peace. 
I want to, Michael, can you guys come? I want to do uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain one more time. And if you would, let's stand and let's just gather up here close, if you don't mind, and we'll close with this song. I want to challenge you as, as we come into as we come into 2023, that this will be the year that you do go tell it on your mountain. Whatever mountain God gives you to go and tell this message, to go and share the good news that Christ has come, that 2023 will be the year that you go and tell it. And so we're just going to sing this song together as we sing it. And after we finish, you can consider yourself dismissed. Merry Christmas. We hope you enjoy the rest of the day with your family. And we look forward to seeing you next year. Go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere. Jesus Christ is born. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Shepherds with their watching, or silent flocks by Jesus Christ is born.
If you're here this morning, you've never experienced the miracle of Christmas. If God has dealt in your heart, if he is pulling at your heartstrings, don't leave here today before you talk to me or Sister Carol or Brother Dan or Brother Matt. We would be glad to sit and have a conversation with you shortly before you leave here today. God bless you. Merry Christmas. We hope you have the great rest of your day.